Um, Jan and I are going give, to give our testimony in just a moment. And um, just about the topic will be making, making a marriage a safe place. Okay, so um, our marriages are east of Eden right now in the wilderness. And to the degree possible, we want to see what we can do to make them a, self play, a safe place. So we're going to give our testimony regarding that. We'll read some here. We got it all. We got it written out. We'll probably ad lib some too at certain points as well. Um, and then um, in our last session, I'm probably going to make our last session a little bit less formal than I was originally going to do. Um, I hope you will feel comfortable enough to maybe ask some questions from Janet and I. I may will try to get her back in for the trauma piece as well. So we want to make some time for Q&A, and then if, if you don't have any cues, then I'll just go off on um, what's on my heart and give diatribes about, what, about some of the things that I've learned over the course of time. Okay, so that's what we're going to do. So we'll go from now until 10.30 with this testimony. You'll have a 30-minute break, and then from 11 to when we're done before noon with Q&A and just informal talk here to give you the most help and answers to your questions that we possibly can, including sex if you have some questions on that as well. All right? So I have been a pastor now for 23 plus years and I've done tons of marriages. I've seen couples make and write soaring vows as they should. But if we were honest and realistic with our wedding vows, the way that we actually live I would probably say something like this, Janet, I promise to enjoy your unqualified supports and admiration of me at all times. That would be one of my vows. And I will appreciate you always putting me first and thinking of me. And I would make a vow. I will be grateful for you laughing at all my jokes and making me feel important. I promise to enjoy how you perfectly make me feel secure and never sin against me. Absolutely. And I will accept your worship of me and strive to live up to your exalted view of me. As long as you continue to do all these things, I will continue to give myself to you. Now, in, in reality, those, you know, we live that way, but those are not vows. Um, as I mentioned early, earlier, a wedding is a binding um, public legal obligation where I say, I will do something for you, okay? So I promise that I will love you, not I promise that I'm looking forward to sharing my life with you. The, what we just mentioned were not vows. Now, we're in the wilderness. We, we will... We're wanting to cultivate here a taste of Eden in a barren land, and I know it's hard. And we like to share our testimony of fighting for that little taste of Eden in the wilderness. And I understand that getting a couple up here to testify to you about loving your spouse or building this taste of Eden is filled with potential pitfalls. One danger could be personal hypocrisy, teaching on a topic that we're not actually regularly practicing. We're all hypocrites in some way. Another danger could be leaving an inflated impression of reality. Um, like you coming away from this saying, they have it all together. They're so far above me that I'm never going to be able to be where they are. Well, first let me address that personal hypocrisy issue. Jan and I plan to communicate to you what we've experienced and done, not about some kind of a magical Disney World kingdom. 
So while I wish I could say to you um, that Jan and I go out on a date night every week where I arrange in a romantic carriage ride and I personally sing to her Barry Manilow songs, <laughs> that's not what we do. I'm actually grateful for that. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, there are moments of that romance. And when iTunes first came out on the scene, and that's been a long time ago, I did make a love song CD with all those Barry Manilow songs on it. But I have never done karaoke to my wife with those songs. Again, grateful. <laughs> After 26 years of marriage, we have learned a little bit and uh, that my wife enjoys when I give thoughtful attention to her on special days like Mother's Day, her birthday, or our anniversary. She enjoys that. So I learned not just to have a Mother's Day, but I also learned to have a Mother's Weekends. <laughs> so making it special all weekend long, not just for one day, where it's all about Janet. I also learned to make the best strawberry shortcake for my wife. She loves strawberry shortcake, and I learned how to make that for her favorite dessert. And I know that my husband enjoys <coughs> having some time to think, having some quiet to process when he gets home from a busy day that's filled with people. My husband gives and it takes from him. He's not someone that is energized by people. It takes from him. So he benefits from having that. I learned that I needed to hold off on reciting everything I'd been waiting to say to the first adult that I saw when he came home. Um, and I learned I needed to give him space before I went into all the important things that I had to say. For our 22nd anniversary, I did take my wife on a magical Disney cruise where we had an awesome time of reconnecting, praying, listening to some messages on marriage. Actually, on the way here in our six-hour drive, we'll, we were listening to those sermons again. Um, and just having a lot of fun together as companions. I'm glad I have a companion in life to share with, and after 22 years of attempting, now 26, of attempting to practice marriage God's way, um, it's much more conflict-free than our our honeymoon. <laughs> We're not going to share that story. <laughs> but I will just say that it included Brent angrily walking away to take a shower and informing me that I'd better be ready to talk about why I was hysterically crying when he came out. <laughs> We've come a long way. We've come a long way. <laughs> and now I tell all the couples that I pre-marriage, do pre-marriage counseling with, guard your expectations on your honeymoon night. <laughs> um, just know that it's probably not going to be all that you think it's going to be. Um, recently, I got an email from a lady in our church when I was actually doing this little testimony at another point in time. And this lady said, hi there, if you're looking for material for your loving your spouse testimony, you should talk to Ken. Ken is, Ken was, her is her husband. And she says, seriously, her, Lorna, which was his wife, um, his deceased wife, Lorna trained him for 40 years before she died. And then I married him. He's amazing to be with. His goal, he says, is to make me feel like the most cherished woman on earth, and he does. And that was Jan. I love that. If you want to hear an older man who has had 40 years of trial and error, successes at cherishing their wives, I would encourage you to sit under. Maybe there's somebody in your church like that man who learned over 40 years how to love his wife. And maybe there's some men like that in your church. While I've learned a bit about how to romance and cherish my wife, my wife has also learned how to give, me, uh, give to me in ways that show me love. Five years ago, my wife bought me probably the coolest Father's Day gift ever. 
you know, what do all men and boys love? What do all men and boys love? Just tell me. What? More toys, right? And the bigger toys, bigger toys. No romance here. Give me the fun stuff. My wife ordered for me at a huge discount. So when you see what she gives, what I'm going to show you, you're thinking, oh my goodness, that cost a lot. So um, this was an entry level, so a huge discount. I would not have bought this on my own pastoral salary. So one of the coolest tools, toys for me ever. I got to show you this, okay? So here it is. Um, there we go. Guess which one he is. I, I'm the bigger one. I'm not. She bought for me a legitimate stormtrooper suit. What guy doesn't want one of these, right? And it took me like three months to build that thing because it didn't come assembled like that. I was a model builder when I was young. I saved money. He had to put it together. Uh, yes, yes. I was a model builder when I was young, and um, this was like building the most cool model ever. It took me about two months to build, and then I got to try it out. This is actually at our trunk or treat at one of our community centers, and the kids just all love it. However, there was a problem with this stormtrooper suit. My homemade voice digitizer wasn't really working as I had hoped. You know, if you're going to be the stormtrooper, you have to sound like the stormtrooper. And my wife said to me the most endearing and romantic words that a husband who likes toys needs to hear. Honey, you really need to get that voice digitizer working better. Um, what wife on earth would fully support her husband in something even like this? An excellent wife who can find. And guess what he opened the next Father's Day? I got a new voice digitizer. <laughs> so the first danger of hypocrisy, we are not, um, we're trying to attempt to communicate where we are, not where we're not. We have had some fun moments of romance. Second danger, false impressions of reality. It would not be our desire to rob you of hope this morning. Several of you are struggling in your marriages. It is not helpful for Janet and I to present something to you that is out of your reach and not in line with reality in your own lives. If you leave with the impression today, oh my, I could never be like them, or we have failed because we have made this about us, we have robbed you of hope. We're not better. I've already talked to you about some of my idiotic and very selfish my life for me moments with my wife. And today, the single concept we want to present to you is I'm married or single, um, that um, um, making a, your, your relationship a safe place for your sin to be exposed. Can you be in a place where you're naked and not ashamed anymore? A taste of Eden. Okay, so a safe place for your sin to be exposed. And you may be saying, man, I don't feel safe in my marriage right now. One of my, my spouse always is on me about something. Why would I ever do that? Well, it takes work. Okay, so we have seen from Genesis chapter 2, a picture that you're getting in Genesis chapter 2 of a safe place, naked and not ashamed. In the first paradise sanctuary that God created in the first married couple, the description where they were naked and not ashamed. Now, that imagery is beautiful, and I mentioned it already. It has many implications, and at least one implication is that there was nothing between them, Adam and Eve, not even a garment of clothing. Nakedness indicates that they were fully exposed to each other and, and to their environment and to God. And in that full exposure, there was no fear. There was no hiding. 
There was no thought of what happens if he, if he sees that she is a few pounds overweight. There was no fear of what happens if she sees that I don't have a six-pack, but a two-liter now. <laughs> and just for a moment, imagine if you were fully exposed, all of you, not just your physical body, but the ugliness inside of you, inside of you, inside of your heart, that you tend to live for my life for me. And that's all of us. So imagine if the ugliness externally and internally was fully exposed. Imagine being fully known through and through, yet not being rejected, but loved. Not being condemned, but cherished. And not being shamed for your nakedness, but covered in beautiful clothing. And we know that's what Christ did for us. He sees us in our two leaders, in our whatever they may be, and he still loves us without rejecting us. And that can transcend into our relationship. If that were true in your life, full exposure but fully loved, how would that impact you? No fear, no shame, and then you would just be free to love your spouse. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve ceased worshiping God. They chose my life for me, and that put themselves on the throne, and they became more interested in their own desires rather than God. They hid themselves. The first sin of pride that we talked about in exalting themselves resulted in an inherent recognition that something was wrong. Notice now they had something to hide, and they set themselves and all of us on a path to covering our shame and our guilt. We talked about that last night. There is now fear of exposure. I have something to hide because I am imperfect and I am flawed. I am broken and I am guilty and I tend to live for my life for me. And in continuing that focus, and you see right there in Adam and Eve's words where he said, God, it's the woman that you gave to be with me. She gave me from the tree and I ate. Adam, in order to exalt himself, and try to put himself in the best light, not his wife. Okay? She sa he said, I'm better than her. Okay? Right there you have condemnation from Adam, when he should have been owning his sin and pointing her toward God. Right there you have rejection from Adam, when he should have been accepting, because he saw that he did it too. I mean, he ate the fruit. His heart was just like her heart. Did Adam think that that course of action of blaming her would result in romance that day? No. Um, a date night would not solve the problem with Adam and Eve. A carriage ride, romance, would not solve that problem. A box of chocolates would not have remedied that. The greatest problem in our marriage is not that we are having, that we don't have romance, okay? Marriages are not built upon romance. The greatest problem in our marriages is my life for me, okay? Not recognizing it and then trying to exalt myself over my wife. And so Adam created a hostile environment of condemnation, judgment, superiority, and rejection in his marriage because of his my life for me type of mentality. And it ultimately created separation. That woman, that woman, ultimately created death. 
The opposite of a hostile environment for marriage is a safe refuge, a taste of Eden where each other's sin can be exposed. But you're covered, as I talked about last night, by God's righteousness, not your own. And where the offended party grows in modeling God's love and covering sin. So let's talk practically about how to create that, self, that safe refuge, a taste of Eden. And so you have, I don't know if you have this in your notes or not, I didn't look carefully enough, but those are the major takeaways that we're going to give from our testimony. You can write these out if you want as we go along here. Or take a, take a picture with your phone, okay? Go ahead, Janet. Um, recognizing first that the greatest problem in your marriage is your own personal self-centeredness. We've been saying that. Um, so, personal testimony. Before I was married, um, I believed that when I did get married, um, I would finally have someone who understood me. And therefore, I would not be lonely anymore. I would be known and I would be loved. Uh, very self-centered. I mean, it sounds really nice. It's in totally about me. And then we got married. And I brought that same selfish, insecure pattern into our marriage, hence crying on the honeymoon and a whole lot of crying that whole first year. Brent's favorite thing I have to tell you is crying. <laughs> so we were both getting stressed. And then I had a daughter that cried all the time, but I guess that's kind of what daughters do, don't they? <laughs> we were growing. We were working through problems biblically. I am thankful for all of that. Um, it wasn't horrible, uh, but I had a lot of sin in my heart that I didn't know until the closeness of our marriage surfaced it. I do remember God allowing me to understand that I wasn't even loving Brent like I thought I was when I was trying to make him happy all the time. And I don't know how many times I talk to wives who I'm trying to do what God wants, and, and you're, that's called appeasing. That's not loving. And that's what I was doing. I was trying to make him my God. So I have to, he has to be happy with me. He has to be happy with me. And trying to make him my God, I was functionally behaving as if I needed Brent, and I can't focus on what I need and focus on loving at the same time. I was not looking at Brent, looking at how I could help him grow and loving him where he was at. I was clamoring after what I needed from Brent, which didn't allow me to love him. Self-centered, that's what that is. It just may not always be called that in the world. The world might call that low self-esteem. Um, I actually thought about me a lot. I just wanted him to think about me more, too. Um, that wasn't happening. And that started me on a journey of learning what does that look like to need God and love Brent. And it's not easy, but, you know, it's actually easier than trying to make him a god. Um, and what a cruel thing for me to do to anyone to ask that of him. Secondly, seek to understand your patterns of pride and idolatry, which is why I went what I did this morning and tried to begin to give you a taste of that. What is the root issue of your marriage problems? The more Janet and I grow in Christ, the more we see the depths of our sin. 26 years ago, I could not have told you the way that my sin manifests itself. Yes, I knew that I sinned in my behavior, um, but I did not understand the roots of it. The heart behind it that I was talking to you about this morning, I did not understand that. Now I'm more aware than ever that my pride of wanting an easy life results in me fearing and worrying, particularly when it comes to how my ministry responsibilities are going. At a church, so you're a pastor. Is your church growing? Is it not? Do you have division? Do you not? And when there are challenges, 
my natural prideful instinct because I want ease and I don't see that I'm getting ease, then I fear and I worry. Okay, so in moments of worry and fear, I am more distant from my wife. In moments of worry, I become more critical, unthankful for all that she does. You know, before I was married, um, I, I did not receive a lot. I was a Christian at an early age, but I did not receive a lot of solid discipleship until I started with the navigator guy and then I got to the church that I'm at now. But before I thought, before I was married, I thought love was somebody, I thought I, the, the, the spouse that I would marry would be somebody who understood me. There would be no problems. I thought that. Can you believe that? I thought the person that I knew. And we had a lot of problems. And we had a lot of problems. <laughs> um, the one that I knew how I was going, that was going to be my mate, was one that um, we just clicked and there was never any issues. Well, God shot that down very quickly. Um, now, you've heard about the bacon incident for just a moment. Um, I love bacon, I really, but what I really love is me. But the root of all of that was my fear and worry over the hard things in my life, like the dissertation that wasn't going well. Janet, after 26 years, knows my patterns. She knows that one of my propensities is fear and worry and people-pleasing. She knows that, okay? After 26 years of living with me, she knows that, okay? That night, actually, Janet knows my pattern so well that, you know, she didn't have bacon bits of that night. But you know, you can get five pound bags of bacon bits at Sam's. So the next night, what do you think my wife had for me? <laughs> five pound bag of bacon bits on the table the next night. Also, in the early years of our marriage and my ministry, my fear and worry would result in, and could sometimes be termed as despair, when a church member that I had regularly invested in, I had poured my life into, decided to leave our church. So when those kinds of things happen, um, uh, well, I want you to see that my despair was not over a church member like rejecting Christ, it was over them rejecting me. And essentially my despair was a self-centered despair focused on the perceived rejection of me. My despair would make life very difficult for Janet, and then I was not always attentive to her, but consumed with my own problems. God used these kinds of incidents to show me my patterns of pride, selfishness, and idolatry. We all have sinful patterns, okay? So all of us, say all, just say all, all of us. You know, your ultimate behavior, it's not just about your speech and your actions, it's about your hearts. If we're not aware of our own patterns of pride and selfishness, we will continue in the same patterns. If you are not aware of your spouses, so Janet's aware of mine, so how can she come alongside and help me? If, I'm not, if she's not aware of them, she can't help me. Okay, go ahead. Uh, and the concept of helping, we were uh, reading through Ephesians 5, listening to some of these sermons, and they talked about uh, and, it's, and it's the husband in, the, in Ephesians 5 that it says, washing her with the water of the word. I, I think we can show you from other scripture that that's both directions, that we are helping each other, and we've talked about that, that that's one of our jobs. But 
you know, just thinking about the picture of that, I think I used to picture it more like a bubble bath. <coughs> you know, isn't that nice? I'll sit and there will be water that goes over my head because Brent's just, I don't know, murmuring scripture to me and I feel better because he's washed me with the word. Um, but the reality is it made me think about, in fourth grade, I had a really horrible bike accident, fell off, and my two front teeth came out, and I broke my arm, and all kinds of stuff happened. So I go home, and I'm bruised and bloody and all cut up, and if my mom is going to love me and help me, she has to get all the dirt out of all that. So put me in hot, soapy water. It hurts. It stings. And... If, if we're going to wash each other with the word, that's hard. The, you know the level of trust that has to be there for us to allow each other to do that. But if the goal, we, he mentioned last night, is Romans eight twenty nine to be conformed to the image of Christ, well, I'm not. So if you're going to put me in that mold, a lot of stuff is going to have to come off. And Brent, my spouse, is the primary person that's going to be scraping a lot of that off. That's part of what we do for each other because we love each other, but that's very vulnerable. And when that happens, when we're washing one another with the word of God, the third thing that we need to do is cultivate then regular repentance on these patterns. So I mentioned to you, we have to be aware of our own patterns. So what are your sin patterns? Let me say it this way. What are your worship patterns in your hearts? What are you loving the most in life that's not God or your spouse? Um, and when you recognize that thing which you would be devastated about which if it were taken away that you would be devastated with it and it's not God like Jesus' was in the Garden of Gethsemane what do you do? You repent. So cultivate regular repentance of these patterns in your own life. You know the first years of our marriage we didn't know how to do that. We didn't know how to help each other. We didn't know how to be a safe place for the exposure of our sin. Our washing with the water was fairly harsh, maybe scrubbing when we didn't have to. Yeah. Um, and very quick to notice each other's sin. Not quite as quick to notice mine. My sin is much more reasonable. I don't know if you've ever <laughs> noticed that. But my sin, I know I'm not perfect, but come on, it makes sense. His, on the other hand, not so much. So we focused as competitors. We were not teammates. We had to be protected from each other. And we enjoyed each other. But if we needed to confront the other person, what would be an indicator that you're competitors? When, some, when your spouse makes you aware of an area you need to work on, do you say thank you or do you, do you immediately think of all the ways they sin? Yeah. Which is what I did. He would say, you know, you interrupt me a lot when we're speaking because I do. Hopefully not as much as I did, but I do. I just want to say something. So he would tell me that and I would think, well, you know what? Like you're perfect. <laughs> what? That wasn't the point. But why would we do that? We're competitors, immediately getting defensive. Um, so being confronted isn't, isn't only uncomfortable, it just didn't feel safe. I have to protect myself. Later in our marriage, I can remember a time we get to meet with a lot of young couples um, and help them through conflicts in their marriage, and it's a privilege. Um, as he's talking with the husband about an area where his, his wife was struggling, Brent brings up an area that I struggle with, with my permission, um, but I was surprised at what he said. He said, you know, she'll probably always struggle with that, and that's okay. I didn't really know what to think of that. Is he saying, it's hopeless? Like, she's never going to change anyway, so I'm resigned to it? <laughs> Is he, should I be offended that he doesn't think <coughs> I'm growing? But I realized, here's what he was saying. That's freeing. 
He was seeing, I may never be free of that propensity to sin. And quite frankly, when I'm in my flesh, I do sin the same ways. Um, and instead of being impatient with that, I've, we've talked about that. You know that's wrong. Why are you still doing that? Parenting implications all over that. Um, he was willing to help me in the same area over and over. He was acknowledging he's ready to do that for the rest of his life as I seek to repent daily. What a picture of God's help to me that was. Often we think of repentance as something we do, you know, once in a long while. Like, oh yeah, I remember last year repenting once, and <laughs> when I was in college, and you know how college students are, I had a lot of things to repent of, and I repented a couple of times in the college. The 500th anniversary of the famous event, the Reformation, recently, does anybody remember um, what the first thesis of Martin Luther's thesis were? Does anybody remember the first thesis? Okay, when our Lord Savior said repents, what he meant was daily repentance. So, um, let me give it exactly what he says. His first thesis was, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he willed that the entire life of a believer be one of repentance. As we have said, a safe place is where you recognize that the biggest, your perspective is that my sin is the biggest problem my patterns of sin, my attitude of my life for me, that is the biggest problem. So not only year by year, month by month, but day by day, waking up in the morning and when I recognize I'm trying to live for myself, repenting at that moment. That means more often now when Janet and I are in a tense moment, not seeing eye to eye, we can quickly ask ourselves, is this my typical pattern of being defensive, or responding in justification? Is that my typical sin pattern cropping up again? Most of the time the answer is yes, and we can see it now, and then we're in a better position to, re to repent quickly. Go ahead. Um, so fourthly, at what do you do when you're at that moment? Gaze at how Christ has fully covered you and your sinful patterns as deep as they go in your life. When I know that, it's not so shocking to see my spouses. I, this is going to sound silly, but I actually believed that if I got to a point where I didn't need Brent, we wouldn't be as close. I wanted us to need each other. Like, I couldn't breathe if he wasn't there, and I wanted him to feel that way about me, and somehow that, would, that was what I thought biblical oneness was. Um, if I was that close to Christ where I could say, I don't need you, then we wouldn't even be close. I only need him. I don't really care about you. That's, that's not the truth. The reality is, as I've grown in recognizing Brent's an awesome husband and a really bad God, and it was, not, it was awful of me to ask it of him, as I've learned to need Christ and learned I don't need Brent, I'm freer to see him as he is because he has areas that he needs to work on. I'm freer to love him even when he has those, and we're closer than we've ever been, which only makes sense. We're now on the same team. We're on the same path. We're desiring to walk toward Christ, and I get the privilege of walking and helping him draw closer as well. Remember earlier when I said, just for a moment, imagine if you were fully exposed, all of you, not just your physical body, but the ugliness inside of you and how terrifying that is. The marriage relationship in particular exposes at the core of our being, exposes us as hypocrites when we make strong, soaring vows, as we should, to love them, and then we don't. That's pretty ugly to see. And again, just for a moment, imagine all the ugliness externally and internally in you. Imagine being fully known and, and 
through and through, and yet not being rejected but loved, not being condemned but cherished, not being shamed of your nakedness, but being covered in beautiful clothing. The gospel of Jesus Christ teaches us that we are more wicked than we could ever know, but we are more loved than we could ever imagine. I think Tim Keller coined that. I'm not sure. Um, Possibly God coined that before Tim Keller, I think. (laughs) There is no safe place for exposing these patterns of sin without something that covers our guilt and shame. Isaiah 61.10 says this. Isaiah says, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for he hath clothed me with garments of salvation. I want you to lock on to... This is the same imagery that is picked up from Genesis 3. We need a covering for the shame of our nakedness. When, when, will, you, when will you be the best dressed in your entire life? When will you be the best dressed? It'll probably be on your wedding day. So when you were, when you were wedded. And notice what Isaiah reaches toward. You have clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with robes of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself out with a garland and a bride adorns herself with jewels. Here is where Christ's garments of salvation close us the shame of our nakedness. Here's what I would ask all of us to pray in our relationships. Father, through our relationships, expose the depths of our sin. But Father, don't do it without showing me afterwards the depths of your grace and the righteousness of Christ that covers me. Janet and I have grown in our understanding of the gospel over the last 26 years together. And we both love Milton Vincent's book, The Gospel Primer. And we find that meditating on those truths, we have now cultivated how the gospel covers us, but meditating on those truths really help us. When I understand the gospel... I'm not so shocked that I need to repent daily. It's actually more shocking if there's a moment that I don't. Yeah. Instead of, I can't believe I could do that. Really? I can't believe there was a time I didn't do that. That's what it helps me to remember. And when I repent, my gratitude for the gospel grows. I remember counseling a woman years ago who said to me, as she was coming to grips with the fact that her self-righteousness was that, that she was actually very sinful, She said, how do you not just be depressed all the time when you see how sinful you are? Well, when you're living out of your works, it is depressing. But when you understand that when God saved you, he knew this about you, you're the only one finding it out right now. You're the only one shocked. He's not going, you have got to be kidding me. (laughs) He's going, honey, I knew that. Gratitude grows. You knew I was that disgusting when you covered me. I have even more to be thankful for. I have more to rejoice in. When I'm not abiding close to Christ, I'm the same. I still sin in the same ways. My flesh does not smell any better than it ever did. My sin isn't any prettier. But the hope is that we can see it early in each other. Um, And then we get to point each other back to the cross. Not judge each other, not appease each other, not try to impress each other, and not compete with each other. But see the sin patterns, come alongside reassure each other of our love and commitment, and then take each other to the cross. What a privilege. And in that, we get to be a taste of the gospel of grace to each other. Number five, respond compassionately to your spouse's patterns of selfishness because because you know how deep your sinful patterns go and simultaneously how deep God's compassion goes in your life. Your, Your heart is just like hers, and you needed the grace as well. 
we see the sin in each other far more than anybody else is going to. Um, what am I going to do with that? Am I going to use it against him? That's what competitors do. But a safe place isn't for competitors but for companions. And we're on the same team. We actually, we say that to our kids a lot growing up. We have to know your sin patterns. But they're safe for us to know. And my kids could recount mine. So we had family shirts made up that were team. This is the team Oakwin. We have each other's back. We're not a safe place to sin, but we're a safe place for our sin to be exposed. And that's freeing. Um, as an example, and anytime I share this, just recognize this doesn't always happen, but this was such a, a vivid um, example to me of a way that Brent loved me, but he doesn't always do this, and don't walk out of here saying, it must be easy for you because your husband's perfect. We can yeah. talk about that later. But he, he knows me. I can remember coming in our, our garage, um, goes into the kitchen, and I got out of my car, I mean seething mad. I don't remember why, but I know it must have been incredibly important. But I was really mad. And I walked into the kitchen, and my poor husband's standing there. So he has nothing to do with whatever I'm mad at. He wasn't even there, but he's standing there. So he now gets a barrage of all that is making me mad. And I am just vomiting all of this stuff. And, you know, sometimes you can actually be convinced it's righteous anger and that it makes sense. This wasn't even that. I could hear it as it's coming out. That's, I knew how ugly and sinful and petty it was. I didn't even have this delusion that this was sinful, this was righteous anger. But I couldn't shut up. Like, it just kept coming out. And now, not only am I mad about whatever made me mad, I recognize how ugly it is, and I'm mad at him for seeing it. Yeah. Because I've just been exposed. I can't even say to him, yeah, but can't you understand? No, like, it's, there's no excuse for it. He sees it, and I'm mad at him because I feel incredibly vulnerable right now. Because it's gross. And he sees it. So now I'm yelling at him. And you probably think you're better than me. You probably think you don't even, oh, my, he hasn't done anything. But stand there. <laughs> Thankfully, I cannot continue to talk without breathing. So at some point, I had to stop because I was out of breath. And so as I'm breathing in, he has a second to do something. And I think of all the things he could have done. He could have said, Janet, stop that. And he would have been absolutely right because it was ugly. Here's what he did. He said, Janet, come here. And he opened his arms. And I knew I don't deserve that. I knew it was ugly. I know he knows. He wasn't fooled. He wasn't thinking that poor thing. He knew, and I knew, and for him to respond that way, broke me. I'm not defensive anymore. I'm sobbing and asking forgiveness. And he prayed and we went to the cross. And do, do I do that every time? He, here's what I could do at that moment. I could say, well, he's a pastor. He's supposed to do that. <laughs> and then I could expect it every time. Or I could know that was a taste. <coughs> that was a taste of something that doesn't always happen. But it was a taste of something that happens all the time with God with me. And he got to show me what that looked like. Number six, point your spouse to truth and grace in Christ. Don't point them to you. When the kids were younger, it was not easy for me to handle the lack of a full night's sleep. I love my sleep like I love my bacon. And um, the children, having children, don't lend to a good night's sleep. Okay? Um, <clears throat> many times one of our children was anxious about something, and I deemed it as trivial. Janet learned how she helped me by handling many of those nights, and when I got up to help a child, she helpfully reminded me of truth before I got to them. 
going through some of our memorabilia in regard to my son Josh's graduation from high school reminded me of this. I found a note written from my son when he was 10. He says this, Dear Daddy, thank you for putting up with me. I can tell sometimes you get impatient. God will strengthen you. Love, Joshua. <laughs> I love that he felt the freedom that we talk about each other's sin. Yeah, that was he, part of our safe place. He, he felt the freedom to talk to Daddy. <laughs> not that Daddy did not sin. Okay. Out of the mouths of babes, Josh too was learning that we can see each other's sin and help each other because we're on the same team. Also, I mentioned to you about my fear and my worry and my occasional despair. Janet has learned to speak truth to me in love. I don't always want to hear, Brent, what is required of you? to have a growing ministry, to have people always respond to truth, know what is required of you is to be faithful. Often Janet, in a moment of, in a moment of one of my fear and worry, responds, will say, just let's pray. Sometimes that's exactly what I don't want to do because I want to continue to indulge the flesh. But grudgingly I say, okay. And that's a solution. She directs me back to Jesus. She doesn't direct me to herself. She directs me to Christ. That's the ultimate safe place. And when we're operating this way, number seven, we can thank God because you've become a safe place for your sin to be exposed. Once again, you have a taste of what it means to be naked and not ashamed. Okay? And number eight, romance, gifts, and getaways built on this foundation are truly Garden of Eden-ish. Marriages are not built upon romance. Okay? They're not built upon romance romance over time gets sweeter and sweeter because you're functioning in some in, in a way like this okay so cultivating a safe place in your marriages that's what janet and i wanted to talk to you about and um so if may god grant you grace in that as well and at this moment in time let me give you just a couple of resources here i, I don't think they're on here resources Things that um, you can do to continue to help you cultivate what we're talking about. There's a book called When Sinners Say I Do. I don't remember the, the author, but... That's in their booklet, I did see. That's that in resource. your booklet, so When Sinners Say I Do. Um, Tim Keller's series on marriage. So if you go to the website, Gospel in Life. I know he has a book on marriage, but I really like his sermon series. Um, so go to Gospel in Life website and find Tim Keller's sermon series on marriage. And also, Paul Tripp, the DVD series, What Did You Expect? Paul Tripp, go to his website, Paul Tripp's website, and get the DVDs, What Did You Expect? He has a book, but also, I like the DVDs better. And I use those DVDs in pre-marriage counseling, counseling, I use Tim Keller's sermons, um, the marriage sermons in counseling and pre-marriage counseling, those will continue to help you cultivate what we've been talking about here. 